I love that video because it makes it very apparent that prayer is not just something for kids. It's not something for older folks, but prayer is an important part of each and every one of our lives. Um, tonight, we're continuing in the sermon series, The Circle Maker. And in fact, we're actually ending the sermon series tonight. Uh, it only takes me two sermons when it takes Todd a few more. Uh, he'll learn eventually. But anyways, uh, don't tell him I said that he's not here tonight. Oh, crap. <laughs> Just remember, Todd, you preach about grace. Tonight we're continuing on, though, and last week we were talking about prayer, specifically the Lord's Prayer. And we were talking about um, the ways that Jesus has taught us to pray. And, you know, sometimes we feel like God can't hear our prayers. Sometimes we feel like God is not there. But we learned last week that sometimes silence, and rather all times, when God chooses to be silent, that doesn't mean that he's absent. In fact, we talked about sometimes it's life's greatest trials and difficulties that see us closer to the Father, that bring us closer to God and His goodness, and that's good. So tonight I want to talk about prayer a little bit more. I want to talk about um, some of the things that I think keep us from praying um, real intimate prayers with the Father, whether that be in our own personal quiet time or that be in front of other people. And I also want to read a story from Scripture that talks about a group of people that came together and prayed bold prayers, uh, prayed this prayer that was so against what the world thought possible. Um, and maybe possibly we can learn from this story how to pray tonight. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we know that you're here. And God, um, I just pray that you would remove all the distractions, all of the things that right now are trying to um, keep us from hearing your words and your truth. And God, I just want to pray for each and every person in this room, including myself, that you would just open our hearts, Lord. Uh, I know that you're here, and I know that you have a purpose for each one of us being here. God, thank you for just being a father who loves us, who offers grace and mercy and peace, and gives us a reason to join together as a fellowship of brothers and sisters tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the first thing I'd like to talk about is uh, one of the reasons that people constantly give for not praying um, I, I always hear, well, prayer is one of those things that's intimate and personal, and it's meant to just be between myself and God. And that's mostly true. Prayer is intimate, and it's meant to be between you and the Father. But God also gave us brothers and sisters. God also encourages fellowship, a fellowship with people who are all wanting and desiring the same things. Brothers and sisters to hold you up, to hold you accountable, and to be there for you through your pray through your praying, through your prayers, through the things you're going through. The, the second excuse that I constantly hear is, well, I don't want to pray because I'm afraid I'm going to say something stupid. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing and just make me look dumb. And that really bothers me because the truth of the matter is that lie, that lie was told by the church, by tradition, by people who believe that speaking holy or saying things eloquently or showboating how large their vernacular are as they pray, that that's God-honoring. But the fact of the matter is God isn't concerned with how elo eloquent we can speak, but where our heart is when we pray to Him. It's kind of a, a, a joke among our family, and it's not meant to be blasphemous in any way, but anytime our family and friends are together, we always ask my brother Josh to pray. And the reason we do that is because he always prays for the most random, off-the-wall things. And nine out of ten times, these prayers end with, God, please be with the Pope. 
<laughs> now, that's random and weird, but the fact of the matter is, he meant what he was saying. I think that the Pope needs prayer, and so does he. But the, the point I'm trying to make is, it's not so much about the words that my brother was saying, but where his heart was when he said them. So that comes to the point tonight that when you pray, it's far more important to have heart with no words than to have words with no heart. You know, I'm not a very smart person or a special person. I think the combined IQ in the room would probably amount to about 500 tonight. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, you and I alike can see when someone's being ingenuine, can tell when someone doesn't really care what you have to say. You know, those people that come up to you time and time again, and they say, how are you? And before you even have a chance to respond or answer, they're on their phone, or you can tell that they're in another world. Eventually, you just get to the point where you realize that that relationship to them is not that important. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just say words that sound good. I don't want to just say holy words to the Father when I pray that are eloquent, but have no heart truth, that have no rawness to them. And God just look and say, well, clearly, the relationship isn't that important to him. I would rather just go to the Father with a raw heart and say, listen, I don't really know what to say. I don't really have the words. I'm not going to try to talk to you like, like I'm some eloquent speaker or some person with lots of big words. But this is how I talk to my dad. And dad, I need you. Dad, I need you. See, it's more important where your heart is than the words that you speak. I think another thing um, that sometimes holds us back, that sometimes... Um, prevents us from truly being able to connect with the Father is our own human nature and our sin. Uh, the, the Bible is very clear that sin separates us from God. And I imagine it kind of like this. Uh, I imagine every time I sin or I stumble, I walk a little bit farther from the Father. And then I walk down the flight of stairs. And then I get to this place that's this old barn in an abandoned field in the bottom of the basement with the drippy water pipes and it's pitch black. And I go to pull up my phone to make a call to my dad, and I can't because I have absolutely no service. Because I'm so far, so lost in darkness. See, sin does that. It pulls you so far away from the Father. And guys, I know that sounds hopeless, but God made a way out of that situation. When God sent his son Jesus on earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, and then raised again three days later, he did that so that we could have communication with him. So that when we're in those dark and lost places... God will drop down that Verizon wireless tower and give you a signal and let you talk to the Father. See, sin can prevent us from praying, but also praying can prevent us from sinning. See, prayer has this uh, unique quality to it, and that quality is that it holds us accountable. And the reason it holds us accountable is because it directs our perspective and it directs everything that we're looking at to the Father. And when we see his goodness and what he's done in our lives, it's hard for us to stray away because we're so engulfed in his love and his mercy and his grace. I have a few stories about accountability. A few years back, I was house-sitting for one of my neighbors, and they had a dog and a cat. And I remember on this particular day, their house was 100 degrees. And so as I was getting food for the cat and the dog, I began to think, you know, they're on vacation, and they're going to come back happy and tan. They wouldn't really notice if... I took some ice cream out of the freezer. And so as I open up the freezer looking for something cold to beat this heat, I see my favorite kind of ice cream, mint chocolate chip, and a box of popsicles. But unfortunately, what I also saw 
was something that was disturbing and that will forever be ingrained into my brain. Now, you guys have to understand that they were going to the beach, and so they were on a diet. And so they were working on those uh, beach bodies. And one of the tactics that they used for their diet was printing off pictures of themselves almost naked and taping them to all the unhealthy food. So yeah, when I opened the freezer, I saw my neighbors almost completely naked. I, I remember asking them about it, and of course they were embarrassed, but they said, Blake, it helps us be accountable. When we see that, it helps us not stumble or, or fall away from our diet. Another story about accountability is a story that kind of tells on myself a little bit. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, I work for my dad at nighttime, and my dad owns a landscaping company, and I do all the indirect work so his guys don't have to do overtime. And like I said, I'm telling on myself, so dad, remember you're in church. Um, <laughs> so on this particular night, I remember that I got to work and I realized how much stuff that I had to do. Uh, it was a lot of stuff. And at about the same time, my phone dinged. And it was one of my buddies who had come up from Louisville with a group of people, and he was only going to be there for that night. So immediately, I'm, I'm shaking my head, and I'm pacing back and forth, trying to come up with the perfect excuse to get me out of my responsibilities. And it just seemed like every time I came up with an excuse, I could hear my dad with his answer. Uh, the first excuse, oh, dad, I'm feeling sick. Well, son, looks like you better be home when I get home. Uh, the second excuse, well, they're only going to be here for a little while, and I never get to see them. Well, son, that should motivate you to get the job done quicker, and that'll save me money. It's a win-win situation. In about the time that I felt like I might have had a good excuse, I looked up, and I saw something on the wall hanging between a pile of dirty rags and a shovel. Now, to give you guys an idea of what that was, I have to tell a little backstory. A few years ago, my grandpa passed away, and my dad went through all of his old stuff and kind of renovated his house so he could sell it. And unfortunately, our garage isn't big enough to keep all of that stuff, um, so we had to take a lot of it to his shop. And as his guys were going through this stuff, um, trying to figure out what was valuable, what to keep, and what to throw away, they came across this thing that was, by any standard, gaudy and ugly and broken and definitely worth throwing in the trash, but none of his guys seemed to have the capacity to put it in the garbage. And so he came in the next day, and he saw it, and he said, guys, why didn't you throw that away? And they said, we can't. You do it. Well, my dad couldn't do it either, and so because of that, this particular item with a broken frame and a poorly drawn image hangs in his shop. So about that time, I thought I had a great excuse that was going to get me out of my responsibilities. My eyes met an image of Jesus with a big, goofy smile on his face surrounded by a flock of sheep. And it was like Jesus was staring at my soul. I kind of just shook my head, and I didn't hang out with my friends that night. The, the point that I'm trying to make is my neighbors used images of themselves almost naked to hold them accountable for something. And that picture of Jesus on that night held me accountable to my responsibilities and what's right. And prayer does the same thing for each of us. It holds us accountable to the things that we're supposed to be seeking after because it reminds us of the Father. Now, I want to go through a story tonight where people didn't pray simple words um, without faith. They didn't pray um, basic prayers. They prayed this bold prayer without fear of being judged for being stupid because, in fact, by the world standards, the things that they were praying for were ridiculous, but that didn't keep them from doing it. 
The story is in Acts chapter 12, and it starts in verse 5. And to give you a little background, uh, this story is taking place when King Herod is about to kill Peter. Um, So that's where the story picks up in verse 5. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. It'll be on the screen. It says this. It says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God and the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing some vision. But when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Well, now I'm sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people and what they were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, where many people were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and so they kept saying, It's just Peter's angel. But, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to him with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Now, the first thing that I notice when I read that story, the, the most beautiful, in my mind, part of that text is the part that says his chains fell off. Guys, I don't know what your chains might be, but we all have chains. We all have things that are holding us down, that are holding us back from living a fulfilled life, a full life. Your chains might be the past. It might be this mistake that you made that you think makes you so di- dirty, so disqualified from ever living a purposeful life. Something so messy and so broken that God couldn't possibly redeem you, that God couldn't possibly make you into something beautiful. Prayer breaks chains. Maybe for you, the chains that are holding you is an addiction. Maybe it's uh, pornography or alcoholism or drugs. I don't know what it is, but prayer breaks chains. Maybe for you, it's the relationship problems between your family or your spouse. It's that thing that's holding you back. Well, prayer breaks chains. The second truth that's in this text is the angel received Peter from prison, but prayer, prayer received the angel. Guys, so many times we, we pray these prayers to God, but while we're praying, we don't actually expect him to do anything. It's just words most of the time. We, we pray, and we're even hesitant to pray boldly because we don't believe that he has the capacity to do that. We want to say that we do, but we don't pray like it. We need to remember that while we're busy asking, God is busy doing. While we're busy asking, God is busy doing. I heard a story once, and uh, this story was about two farmers who were both in desperate need of rain, and they both prayed to God that he might bring the rain. But only one of them, only one of the farmers actually prepared his field. 
Now, if I were to ask you tonight, which farmer do you believe actually had the faith that God was going to bring the rain, you would tell me the one that prepared his field. Uh, A harder question for you tonight might be, which farmer are you? Are you somebody who prays but doesn't pray expectantly? Or are you preparing your field? And you might be saying tonight, I don't know what that even looks like, Blake. Well, maybe you're in a job, a dead-end job that you know is not going anywhere. You're working totally too many hours. It's pulling you away from your relationships with your family, the relationship that you have with God, and you know that you have to do something. And you've been praying consistently, God, I need you to show me. God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do that. Help me through this. Maybe tonight, preparing your field looks like you quitting that job and seeking with all your heart a new job and having faith that God will see you through it, and that's what your prayer becomes. God, give me strength and see me through it. Or maybe that you're in an unhealthy relationship that's hurting both of you and other people around you. You know that it's not God-honoring. Maybe preparing your field is ending that relationship and saying, God, I'm ending this relationship. I'm doing my part. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to see me through. I know that you're going to be holding my hand through this whole process. Would you prepare your field? You see, but sometimes we do that. We do prepare our field and we wait and anticipate the rain. And sometimes the rain never comes. You see, the thing with prayer is when we put our faith in God, we also have to put our faith in his timing, in his ways. In his timing and in his ways. There's a story of a man who was shipwrecked and he was on a desert island. And this man for days went seeking wood to build a shelter. And he had finally finished the shelter. And he was tired, and it was cold, and it was nighttime. And so he attempted to build a fire, and he finally got a small flame. And so he slept through the night, and the next morning he got up early to look for food because he hadn't eaten anything in a week. And when he came back from the woods, the flame had got caught by the wind and had engulfed his shelter. The story goes that this man just hit his knees and cried out to God and said, Why, God? I've been so faithful. I've prayed to you every single day that you might deliver me, that you might give me a way out, and you just continue to take away from me and take away from me. Why, God? About that time, a helicopter flew over the island and turned around and landed. And this man with tears filled in his eyes met the pilot and said, How did you find me? The pilot pointed to the shelter and said, I saw your SOS. See, guys, sometimes in our life we see flames, God sees redemption. We see chaos and pain and brokenness, and God sees his perfect plan. So tonight, as the band comes back up here, I want to challenge you to do a few things. Uh, From last week, I want to challenge you guys to draw your circle And when I say that, I mean I want to challenge you guys to commit five minutes, five minutes every single day for the next month. If you can do that for the next month, I guarantee you it will change your life radically. Five minutes of time where you're just praying to the Father, bold prayers. The second thing that I'm going to ask you guys to do tonight is identify your chains. What's that thing that's holding you back? What's that thing that's weighing you down, that's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God? Identify your chains, and then the second part of that, would you pray that God would break your chains and believe that he will?
Believe that he will. Believe that he will redeem you. Believe that he will free you from whatever you're struggling with. And the last part, would you prepare your field tonight, whatever that looks like. So during this time, during this next song, would you just take a minute or maybe the whole song to just spend some time with God, whether that's with yourself, whether that's with your husband or your wife or your whole family. Just take this time to pray about those things. Maybe tonight you pray to God for the very first time. Maybe you're in one of those situations that I talked about where your sin has separated you so far from God that you've wandered into this place where you're lonely, you're tired, you're confused, you're broken. Tonight, for the very first time, would you hit your knees humbly? Would you just say, God, I need you. God, I know that you sent your son so I could talk to you, so I could have a relationship with you. I I know that I mess up and I make mistakes, but your love is what makes it all okay. Your love is what saves me. Uh, God, I want you to be able to, to call me child. I want you to be my father. Guys, that's what prayer is. This is the acknowledgement that he's our father, that we have a God in heaven who loves us. And if that is your prayer tonight, I just want to encourage you to talk to somebody about it. If that's your prayer, talk to someone. Let them encourage you. Anytime that we do something new, it's difficult and it can be confusing. Let somebody help you through it. Maybe that person is me tonight, maybe not. It doesn't have to be. This is about you and God. But if you want somebody to pray for you, I'll be down here and I'd be more than happy to talk to you. Guys, whatever it is, I just challenge you during this next song to spend some time with God. The altar's open. If you guys want to come down here, you can get on your knees and make a statement. The altar is significant because it requires you to humble yourself. It's hard to get in front of people and say, I need help. And the altar exposes you. It exposes your soul. And when you're on your knees, you're in a position of surrender. Maybe that's what you need to do tonight. If not, right where you are, with your families, with yourself, would you just spend some time with God, identifying your chains and praying bold prayers tonight?